Hey, 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 welcome to video version of the Pastor Duke podcast. I'm in my little studio here in East Greenbush, New York. Beautiful time of the year here in upstate New York. It's a beautiful state. It's just a few other things about this state. I don't really like our government, our taxes, our winters. But uh, hey, thanks for tuning me in and thanks for being a part of the growing Pastor Duke podcast listening family you mean the world to me. I want to share with you today something that's huge in my heart. Probably half of you uh, will understand already by experience what I'm talking about, and it'll just be gasoline on your sparks. And another half of you, not quite there yet. And boy, I'm telling you, God's got something awesome up his sleeve for you. I'm in the Gospel of John, going to be in chapter four in just a moment. Jesus is kind of teaching his disciples something significant. Now, they'd heard the preaching of John the Baptist, and they were moved. Then they meet Jesus, and they connect those dots. This is the guy of whom John the Baptist spoke, of whom the prophet spoke concerning John the Baptist, and they're, they're getting it, and they make a decision to follow Jesus. I, I, that's probably 99% of you listening. And um, so they're committed to Jesus, but there's so much to learn. Some things are, are, are taught, and what I'm going to talk to you today about is not something that's so much taught as it is caught. And so they're following Jesus, John chapter 3, they're in Gethsemane, Nicodemus comes in top of the social order, intellectually educated, wealthy but not quite ready to publicly identify with Jesus. He comes in kind of under the cover of darkness, and Jesus pulls out John 3.16 on this guy face-to-face, for God so loved the world, and he meets this guy where he was, and Nicodemus wasn't all that happy. You know, he figures if anybody is going to have everlasting life, it's me. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a, I'm a member of the Sanhedrin court. I'm, 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 I'm at the top of this Jewish thing. And yet he was lost. He, he had religion, but he, he did not know uh, God in a personal way. He had not made commitment to Jesus Messiah. Didn't even recognize him, but he knew something was up later. He did. So in, Jesus, alive at Gethsemane, <laughs> John three sixteen, face-to-face with Nicodemus, and he walks away still lost. Now, he does come to Christ at the end, and but now the disciples are there. They're watching this guy at the top of the social order. Then they go in John chapter 4 through Samaria. <laughs> we don't want to go through Samaria. They're Samaritans. They're half-breed Jews. They go halfway for, for you, Lord. And then they go, they do it their own way, and they've intermingled racially with the Canaanites, and we'll walk around those people. And God said, no. Jesus said, no, we're going through Samaria. So he's got them out of their comfort zone. Mark that down. As, as you follow Jesus... He will, along the way, take you out of your comfort zone. So they get to the well there in Samaria, and uh, the disciples don't want to be there. Oh, no. And um, they meet this woman at the well. Now, the good women uh, of the town come in the morning to get the water. Well, this is midday. She has the attire of a harlot. The good women want nothing to do with her. To save uh, embarrassment, she comes out in midday to get her water. And it's so screaming obvious that 
Number one, she's a Samaritan. Number two, she's a woman. Number three, she's a harlot. So the disciples run into town to get some groceries. Jesus is there kind of doing what we would call in prison ministry a one-on-one with the woman at the well. Now, yesterday, Gethsemane, it's the top of the social order. Nobody's listening. Today, they're at the bottom of the social order, and the disciples are out of their comfort zone but they're watching. Jesus has something significant up his sleeve for these people, for his 12. So Jesus meets her where she was. He was friendly. He's a Jew. She's a Samaritan. And she was shocked that he was friendly. And she responded to that. And they start a conversation about uh, uh, physical things, the water at the well, I'm thirsty. And then Jesus comes around and says, well, I have water to drink that you know not of. And whoever drinks of my water never thirsts again. And and they're kind of he's kind of bringing it from the physical realm to the spiritual realm, and uh, so he's already kind of won her heart in that he was kind and he was uh, not playing the race game, the Samaritan Jewish thing. He he didn't go there, and and she she was comfortable with him. And she's a harlot, and he's being kind to her. He's not ridiculing her. He's not propositioning her. And. He, he just made her feel uh, a little bit special. She wasn't used to that. She was used to being abused by men and uh, ignored, especially by Jewish men, and uh, disdained by the women of the town. And so here he is being kind to somebody on the bottom and gets her ear, and he was moving the conversation from the uh, f- from the physical to the spiritual and the and she brings up, oh, we know uh, the Messiah comes and all that. And Jesus says, well, go tell your husband what's going on here. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus had her right where he wanted her. And he said, that's true, sweetheart. He didn't say sweetheart, but in today's language, you know, that's right. But the man you're living with is not your husband, but you've had five husbands. <gasps> she's like, busted. And, but in a good way. And she said, I perceive that you are a prophet. We know that the Messiah comes and Jesus straight up tells her, I that speak unto thee am he. So that's for her. She gets excited. She runs back into the town, <laughs> tells everybody they'd never seen a skip in her step before, a twinkle in her eye before. And she's got, she's, she's been transformed by the power of the gospel. And she had met Bible Jesus. <laughs> he changes everything. She's excited. So as, as, as she's kind of heading back into town, the disciples are coming out of town and they're kind of glad to have her gone. And they're just kind of embarrassed that Jesus would, do you have to be nice to everybody? Do you have to be friendly to everybody? And, and uh, they have food. And so they're, they're laying the food out for him. And he says this in John chapter 4, I have bread to eat that you know not of. Some versions, King James Version says, I have meat to eat. That was a term they commonly used for just food in general. But other versions say, I have bread to eat that you know not of. What is he talking about? And the disciples are kind of embarrassed, and he throws them a curveball there. I have bread to eat that you know not of. They know he's not talking about physical bread here. And they're just watching. Here he was doing a one-on-one, if you please, out by a well in the heat of the day. He's uncomfortable. He's thirsty. He has reasons to be irritable. <laughs> he has reasons to racially ignore this woman uh, on gender issues to ignore this woman because men generally did ignore women in those days. And uh, they have social economic reasons to, to spurn her and that Jesus doesn't play those games. 
for God so loved the world. He said last night in Gethsemane that he gave his only begotten son, whether it's uh, Nicodemus at the top of the social order, nobody listening, or now the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well at the bottom of the social issue, and she's listening, not just with her ears, she's listening with her heart. So the, the theme I want to talk to you about now is right here, the words of Jesus where he says, I have bread to eat that you know not what you know not of. And he's talking about just one-on-one. Here's a son of God, and of course we represent the son of God, and it's the spirit of God in him, the spirit of God in us. It's the truth of God's word of what's happening in the world and the, the plan of redemption in us where he's sharing the gospel with somebody who doesn't know it. I heard uh, Dr. G. Christian Weiss say years ago when I was a young preacher, the greatest moment in the history of the universe is the moment that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, shed his blood on the cross for our sins. So we did not have to go to hell, but we could go to heaven. The greatest moment in the universe was that moment. The second greatest moment in the history of the universe is when somebody who knows about that first moment shares it with somebody who doesn't. That's the bite of bread Jesus was talking about. He had just exemplified it. He just lived it out right in front of them, outside of their comfort zone. But Jesus doesn't care about our comfort zone. If we're going to lay up treasures in heaven where moths and rust don't corrupt and thieves don't break through steel, we've got to get out of this earthly comfort zone. We have to be radically committed to him which they were, but this was an uncomfortable moment. Big lesson learned. So I want to go back to when I think, well, I know when I got my first bite of bread, and I shared this on another podcast kind of in a different format, so I'm just going to hit it briefly. I'm a new believer. I'm serving in the bus ministry. I'm the new kid on the block. I show up for Saturday bus visitation from 9 to noon. Nobody else shows up. Uh, there's like, there's supposed to be uh, six of us. I'm the only one that shows up. So I'm mad. I'm just going to go home. They didn't show up. And, and I felt the Holy spirit speak to me. Well, wait a minute. I called you to do bus bus ministry. I didn't call you to follow them. I called you to follow me. If you love me, go visit these kids by yourself. All right, I'll do it. And I did. I visited those kids on my bus route. I felt pretty good about that. And it's about noon. I'm ready to go home. And then I felt almost, (laughs) almost heard the voice of Jesus say, and it was his spirit prompting me saying, uh, what about the other bus route? You got the clipboard, you know, where they live. You've ridden that bus before. Those kids know who you are. (sighs) Wait a minute. I already did mine all by myself. And the Lord said, I know you did, but do you love me? Yeah, we'll, we'll go visit these kids too. So I missed lunch, <laughs> and I obeyed, and I went, and I, I visited those kids. So now it's like 4 o'clock. I've been going all day. It's 4 o'clock, and I go to the last house, and there's a little girl, 10-year-old girl that lived there, and I walked up to the door. She knew who I was, and uh, the screen door was open, and I could see inside. It was a summer day. She was on the phone, and she was crying, and she's waving for me as she's crying on the phone, Ask, you know, come in, come in. And I'm like, what's going on here? And she's my aunt. She's going to kill herself. She hands me the phone. I'm 19 years old. You know, I got no background in, in, you know, psychological issues. I'm a, I'm a bus captain at Cook Road Baptist Church. I just got off the dr- drug, out of the drug culture about a year ago. I have no training. And now it's like a, a suicide hotline here. And, I, and she's, this lady is freaking out. She's crying. She says, I got a 45 revolver in my head. I'm going to blow my brains out. And I'm like, don't do it. And the, her little niece was there. And, and no, don't, please don't. 
do it. And I, I don't know what to do. And she says, come over here right now and, or, uh, I'll kill myself. And so her niece knew where she was. I get the 10 year old niece in my car drive over is only about a mile and a half away to this lady's house. And she wasn't kidding. She had the gun to her head. We went in, it was so dramatic. And I, I, I don't know what to do. I told her Jesus loves her. And I was lost. And I gave her my story and I was, you know, doing stupid things, not really suicide, but messing around with my life, driving 120 miles an hour in a car that was fast, but didn't have brakes necessarily or shock absorbers and crazy things that we did just messing with our own life. And whatever happened, she started listening to me, diverted her attention. She laid down the gun. I took the bullets out, put them in my pocket, shared it. And about an hour and a half later, she got on her knees and asked Jesus to forgive her of her sin and herself. It's just a feign. Uh, suicide and ask God to forgive her for scaring her niece so bad and thanking the Lord for Brother Duke. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm 19 years old. I'm, I don't know what's going on here, but she got saved. And the next morning she's on the bus and she and she came to Christ. I mean, she this she got saved. And, you know, I I, I guess you'd say I sort of won somebody to Christ. I, I led, led her to the Lord and spent pretty pumped about that. And so now, uh, I realize that I take the little girl, I'd go to prison today for taking this girl away, but her parents knew who I was and everything. And it, it all worked out, but it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. I was outside of my comfort zone that day, but I led this lady to the Lord and, uh, and she was probably in her late twenties and, um, she became a fast friend and came into the church family and, uh, loves to tell her side of that story. She loves, she'll love me forever. And I would have probably chosen not to have to be there, but God put me there, but I was willing. So now it's, it's like almost six o'clock. I don't have time to go home and have dinner. <laughs> I already missed lunch. I had breakfast about eight o'clock in the morning. So now uh, I have to speak that night at a, a youth meeting at uh, my Sunday school teacher, Jack and Marilyn Carr. Their home was a farm out in Hanley Road uh, near Lexington, Ohio, for those of my homies um, on Hanley Road. There was a big bonfire, and there's about 60 young people there, eh, some high school, some college age, and they asked me to speak. Now, I'm not an experienced speaker back in those days, and so I, I'm outside of my comfort zone. I'm like, oh, no, I didn't have time to study. I forgot all about this. I was did both bus routes and then that gal at the end, and now it's I got to drive out there, and I'm starving. They had a campfire, roasted hot dogs. I think I ate seven hot dogs before I preached that night. I was so hungry. And then they had a campfire. They really didn't have time to prepare. So you know what I talked about that night? I just kind of shared the story that I just shared with you. because I was living it out. And I used this verse, John uh, 4, 32, I have bread to eat that you know not of. So the campfire's there, and I'm telling the story that I just told you, and I was mad at those people who didn't show up to, to do their bus route, but I went anyway because I'm serving Jesus, not man. I'm not going to let people mess me up about God. I'm going to let God straighten me out about people. I'm a young guy. I'm a year old, maybe 15 months old, 14 months old in the Lord. This is all brand new to me. Now i got to preach, and I'm not real comfortable with that. I don't have a lot of Bible under my belt yet, and so I'm just telling a story, and I, I've always been a pretty good storyteller, people told I don't know, but I do know this as we're sitting around the fire that night. And I was so glad I told him, I'm so glad I, I'm not going to hell because I deserve to. And I told him the story about leading this gal to Christ and, and so glad that God saved me from the fire of hell. And I look out and there's two gals that were sisters, Terry and Chris Jackson. Tears are coming down their face and I gave an invitation. And uh, a couple of the gals uh, in the leaders, Mrs. Carr, Marilyn, and, and somebody else led uh, Terry and Chris Jackson. 
uh, to the Lord that night. And so there were three people that got saved, uh, three people, oh, unbelievable. And Terry Jackson went on to be a missionary to Italy. How cool is that? And Chris went on to be a pillar in the church. And so that one day of my life, that one Saturday bus visitation from nine to noon, then the second route from noon to, uh, to, to three thirty four, And then the suicide, uh, hotline thing, uh, only it was live. It was started out on the phone and ended up on our knees, this gal's house to like 6 PM. And then like from six, to to 11 p.m. At the, at the event with the young people, and I preached this sermon. I think it was maybe the second sermon I ever preached in my life, and two girls get saved, and it, I'm driving home now. <laughs> you know what happened that day? I got a bite of bread that Jesus was talking about. It was one of the greatest days of my life. It changed everything. Things of earth grew strangely dim. All I did is I take one day of my life and I died itself and I obeyed God rather than man. I obeyed God rather than my emotions because I was mad at those people who didn't show up. It's not fair. I'm the new guy. They should be there to guide me and they weren't there at all. But God said, wave that. Get your eyes off that. Just look to me. Do what's right. So I did. And he was with me. I was so rewarded at the end of that day to see that suicidal gal um, come to Christ to see Terry and Chris Jackson come to Christ. At the end of the day, I'm driving home, and it was the greatest day of my life to that point. I'm 19 years old, and I realized I want that bread. I've tasted it, and it is good. And it's been my privilege all these years in ministry to get another bite of bread. <laughs> I got a bite of bread at camp. Uh, last week, junior camp got to lead this little African-American girl to the Lord. Her name is Journey. At the end of camp, she, she got a little uh, brownie and a little paper bag or plastic bag, and she called me down to find after the final chapel. I saved a brownie for you, Pastor Duke. Oh, uh, she won my heart, and I won her heart. And she's, I told her, you're stuck with me forever. I got another bite of bread. It's fantastic. I want to share one more story with you. Um, when my wife, Joellen, got a bite of bread, she got saved March 16, 1975. Uh, didn't know where to go to church. Got invited out to Temple Baptist Church, Detroit, Michigan. Uh, rode on the Sunday school bus there with uh, Dave Balka was her bus captain. He's a lifetime friend of mine. And uh, he came out to uh, Jersey and planted a church, has planted a bunch of churches. Dave, you can hear him on a couple of my podcasts, uh, Brother Dave Bolka. And so um, she jumped into church with both feet, taught, started teaching Sunday school. But in the church, it was, a, it was a large church, 200 young people in the college class. And, you know, there was a handful of them were on fire for Jesus, like Dave. Uh, but a lot of them were just grew up in church, and they were trying not to be bad, and trying to stay sober and not go the way of the world and all that. But Joel's on fire. And uh, she sees not everybody in church is on fire like she was. I came as a summer intern, and I was on fire. And, uh, she, you know, birds of feather flock together. So they kind of pulled me into that little group that's on fire. And so it was a Saturday, and uh, we, a big day, and we had been worked towards this in the bus ministry for the summer. If you came five weeks in a row on the Sunday school bus, you got a free trip to Bablo Island. It was a like our great escape, uh, you know, Cedar Point. It was a big, uh, fun amusement park for kids. 
And so that Saturday was the big day. <laughs> Temple Baptist took 800 young people, 800 children to Bobble. I, I don't know how many buses, must have had 25, 30 buses full of kids. And I drove one of the buses. So I went and picked up Jawal at 7 in the morning. We'd get back to the church about 7.30, start loading up the buses. we leave at 8 o'clock. we go to Bobble Island. We'd just been dating for <laughs> maybe three or four weeks and it was we were really young in our relationship and I uh, I was cra- crazy about this girl and she wasn't too sure about me but uh, sh- she knew I was on fire for God and it uh, so our relationship was growing so went to Bablo with the kids it was a great day and then we we took them all home and we get back to the church it's like it's like seven o'clock there were eight children that they couldn't find homes for them that they took everybody home these kids didn't even know where they lived and uh from inner city Detroit and uh, their race doesn't matter, but it was a mixed group, Latino, uh, black, a couple of Caucasian kids in the mix. So <laughs> we, I volunteered to try to find them way home. And well, I know I live by, and they named, you know, like the Ford plant or whatever. So they, we drive down there in the a church van and uh, miracle. Our Lord knows the way through the wilderness and we, we got him home, I think. <laughs> we got him somewhere. And now it's like, uh, it's, it's like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And I just felt burdened to go down to really a rough area on Liver Noise. For those of you in the Detroit area, it was, it was a bad section. We had led to, I'd led this guy to the Lord named Danny Johnson. He'd just gotten out of prison. We had led him to the Lord. He was coming to the church faithfully. I just felt a sense that he needed me. And it was really weird. It's like, it's like Saturday night, 10.30. I said to Joanne, let's just get down to Livernoise and see Danny John, see if he's okay. She's like, okay. And so we go down, we find him, and there was a big dope party going on, and he was on the outside. He didn't want to be a part of it, and he just he's on parole. If he gets busted with those people at the dope party inside, he can go back to prison. He had just accepted Christ, and he was so glad to see us. So we hung out with him for a little bit, and we're sitting in the van. All of a sudden, bam, 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 gunfight going on, bullets flying around. He ducks down. We're on the floor in the van, and and the cops are coming, and, and uh, the shooting stops, and the cops are all over the place. We're down on, our, we're down on the floor of, of the van, and I <laughs> I apologize to Joelle and I'm so sorry. It's like 1130 at night. Now we, I picked her up at seven in the morning and now it's 11 o'clock at night. And we had done the whole day with the kids at uh, Bablo. And then we had to take all those kids home and we hadn't eaten since maybe something at lunchtime. <laughs> Food's a big issue. Can you pick that up by my testimony here? So we're in the bot and uh, hiding out on the floor of the van is bullets are going around us. And I, I said, Joel, I'm so sorry to subject you to this insanity. And she smiled and she, she kind of took my hand. She said, you don't have to apologize. She said, this is the greatest day of my life. She said, this is amazing. You know, here we are in the guts of downtown Detroit on Saturday night and gunshots going off and we're working, we're telling people about Jesus. You know what happened that day? Mm. My bride, I didn't know she's going to be my bride yet. I was hoping, hoping, hoping and praying and my prayers were answered, but I was there. I was a part of kind of introducing Joanne. I was there at her side. She was at my side. I, I got another bite of bread that day, but Joanne got a bite of bread that day, it changed everything. She just looked at her whole life and, you know, she's a college girl. She had left modern dance and ballet being a dancer to being home economic teacher. She wanted to be a teacher. Her first love was art. She wound up being an art teacher, but she, uh, 
she just kind of died to, I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to, she just died to all that. It's just, all I want is another bite of bread. And so that's what Jesus has for you. When you do those one-on-ones, when you die to yourself, you're outside of your comfort zone, you're, you're on a phone call with a suicidal person, and you, you got to cross town to go sit, and you're hungry, but you, you don't worry about that when somebody's maybe going to die. You, you go. You're outside of your comfort zone. You're in over your head. You don't know what you're doing, but you have a right heart. You have a wonderful Savior. Jesus said, when you don't know what to say, it shall be given unto you. I've been leaning on that. I'm leaning on that right now as I share these stories with you. Jesus had a bite of bread for me. I'll never forget that wonderful day. Jesus had a bite of bread for Joellen Pangrazzi, now Joellen Herget, my beautiful bride. What a day that was. We'll never forget it. We've had uh, our youth groups over the years. Uh, Pastor Tyler at Newtown Church uh, takes our young people into the um, projects, into the baddest neighborhoods of the capital region. They do like a version of daily vacation Bible school. It's incredible. And at the end of the week, they have almost every kid in the complex there. And I could do a whole podcast on just the miracle of what we saw there where the, the, the town comes in and says, we want you to do this here for our kids. But he's trained our kids to be to serve these inner city kids. Man, we had Islamic kids, girls in the Habib, and just their little face showing, and they're all covered up. And they're running relay races in these robes. It was incredible. The, the kids didn't care. Latinos and blacks. There was a handful of Caucasian kids in the mix, but it's just in it at the feet of Jesus. Race means absolutely nothing. Just one race, the human race. And so, our kids are there, and 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 Tyler preaches the gospel, makes it very clear that our kids sit down one on one. Little uh, 15, 16 year old uh, suburban kid. It comes from a nice neighborhood and drives nice cars, and has nice vacations, is comfortable, and mom and dad are home to these inner city kids that don't even, often don't even know who their daddy is. And they sit with these other kids who just heard the gospel and they've had a blast. These kids already are loved by the little kids uh, that they're serving in, in this uh, outreach. Those little kids already love them. And then they give their testimony to the children and they present the plan of salvation clearly and they have opportunity to lead these other children teenagers to Christ I sat there on numerous occasions and I watched Pastor Tyler lead our youth group our teenagers in service outside of their comfort zone way outside of their comfort zone and sitting down sharing Jesus one-on-one or one-on-five or one on six or seven with these inner city kids. And you know what happens to our teenagers? They get a bite of bread. Have you had a bite of that bread Jesus was talking about? It's, your religion will go right out the door. It's just Jesus now. It's just Jesus. It's not a bunch of do's and don'ts. You don't even, it doesn't even enter your mind. You just want to get Jesus into the hearts of other people. And you're willing to go outside of your comfort zone to do it. You're willing to skip a meal to do it. You're willing to go downtown in Detroit on a Saturday night, midnight, gunshots going off around your head. Doesn't matter. If you're in the will of God, it's the safest place you could possibly be. You could be a teenager in a youth group and say, well, I, I got to learn how to do this. I got to show up here. I got to take uh, every day for a whole week and show up in <laughs> inner city uh, project. 
I got to hang out with uh, children that don't know how to behave real well. And, but it's amazing. Love kicks in. Their behavior is fantastic. Once love kicks in, you show them a good time. You feed them. You love on them. I've watched our kids get a bite of bread. And I hope this message today will help challenge you uh, to get out of your comfort zone. Stop just playing church and serving one another at church. And that, that's great. Serve one another with all your heart. But get, get evangelism into the picture. Get connected to lost people somewhere. Be strategic about this. We don't win people to Christ because they don't know us. We win people to Christ because they do know us. And we're willing to get our hands dirty. And we're willing to visit them in their house. We are willing to bring them into our house, feed them dinner, tell them our story. Jesus looked at the 12 that day. They were good guys. They learned a big lesson that day. It's not about being comfortable. It's not about being popular. It's not about doing what we want to do. They were watching him closely. And they watched him do it. And it wasn't long until one by one, each of them had gotten a bite of bread. And it was so powerful. Those 12 men turned the world upside down. And God wants to use you and I to turn our worlds upside down. He wants to give us a bite of bread. And as we do, (laughs) others will be the beneficiary. And the things of this world just go strangely dim. I'm so grateful for that bite of bread. You know what that bite of bread makes me want to do? (laughs) It's an addiction. I want another bite. I want another bite. That's why I'm out on the road, traveling, sleeping in all kinds of weird places. That's okay. I'm getting bread everywhere I go. Hey, thanks for tuning me in today. I hope it's a blessing. Please like, subscribe, share, all that kind of stuff. My podcast numbers continue to grow. I'm so thankful for you uh, that you're part of it and making that happen. So God bless you for now. Bye-bye.